together the elements are there on the back table. I encourage you if you'd like to participate with us here in just a moment. Uh, the elements are right there in the back. And so I'll give you just a moment to do that. And weren't the children a blessing to hear them sing and excited about singing? All right. We're going to have communion together before we open up the word and So if you take out your elements, just a moment, we'll break bread together, as the scripture says. We'll take a few moments and remember our Lord and Savior, all that he has done for us. It's a busy time of year. It's summer. We can get caught up with vacations and traveling and vacation Bible school and just life. You know, and so we want to take just a few moments, just a, a time to kind of pause for a little bit, to remember, to reflect, and I would say maybe in time of just renewal, um, to just kind of remember what Christ has, has done for us. Remember, as Jesus was here on earth, um, he was with his disciples in the upper room, and they were getting ready to prepare for the time of Passover, but Jesus institutes something different, something new. And he was ushering in a new covenant, this New Testament. And that new covenant was in his very own blood. And at the time, they didn't fully comprehend everything that he was saying, what he was doing. But later, after the resurrection and later after the ascension, his disciples really began to comprehend. A while back, um, I just want to mention this, a while back, um, Anthony was preaching about the two disciples on the road uh, to Emmaus. Do you guys kind of remember that story in the Bible and how they didn't recognize who Jesus was and they were sitting there and they were talking and, and they were, it was getting late and they invite Jesus in and they said, will you break bread with us? And what's very powerful to me is they didn't recognize Jesus, it says, until he broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, pictured this and as he gives them the bread at this meal, what do you think they saw? What do you think caused them to be, rem to be reminded of who he was. Anyone have an idea? What's that? The hands. When he broke that bread and when he gave it to them, that's when they realized. The Bible says, then their eyes were open and he began to reveal to them all the truths from the Old Testament that correlated to the New Testament. And so this morning we want to just take a few moments and remember what Christ has done for us. Would you take out First of all, the bread with me this morning. Would you take a moment? Would you look at the bread? Remember the body of Christ. Remember all that he went through for us. His body broken and beaten. Would you bow for a word of prayer? Let's give thanks as Jesus gave thanks there in the upper room. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your body. Lord, we thank you for this bread, uh, the, the symbol, Lord, of your body that was so badly beaten, broken for us. And so, Lord, today we, we give thanks. Lord, uh, may this be a time of, of remembrance. Lord, remembering all that you have done for us. Lord, there on the cross. Lord, we, we thank you today. Lord, for all that you have done for us and all that you continue to do for us. We thank you that, Lord, your, your forgiveness, Lord, for us is, is new each and every day, new each morning. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus then took, after he gave thanks, took the bread, he broke it, and he said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. Would you take the juice just for a moment? Would you look at the juice? 
Remember the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness. By his stripes, the scripture says, we were healed. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would never forget all that you went through for us. That you willingly went to the cross. You shed your blood. By your stripes, we are healed. We thank you, Lord, for your blood. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin. Forgive us for where we take you for granted. Forgive us for where we oftentimes go days and weeks without taking a few moments just to, to reflect. And so today, we remember you. Today, we reflect upon all that you have done for us. And so we give thanks and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that after the meal, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the New Testament or the New Covenant in his own blood. He said, do this, drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus went on to tell his disciples, he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he says, you show the Lord's death till he returns. And I look forward to the day that the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Amen? But until then, may we be faithful. Until then, may we continue to, to remember all that he has done for us. Last week, we finished up a series on Joseph. And uh, this week, I want to just kind of carry on just a little bit more, because does anyone remember, if you were here last week, one of the, the things that we looked at was Joseph's willingness to forgive. Joseph's willingness to forgive. And so this week, I want to do a little bit of teaching on forgiveness, uh, speak on forgiveness this morning. Um, and uh, I think this is a really important topic, because sometimes people have the wrong idea of what forgiveness is. Sometimes there's unrealistic expectations in the area of forgiveness. And so I think it would be wise for us to do some teaching on forgiveness. And today's theme or title is this, Freedom in Forgiveness, that there's freedom in forgiveness. And uh, on the way in, I won't mention names, but there was a couple members on the way in uh, as they were coming in. And I said, so how you doing? How's it going? And it was kind of quiet. Uh, and uh, he says, she's still mad at me, you know, and, and they're just having fun and stuff. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, guess what today's sermon is? This, today's sermon's on forgiveness. <laughs> and so they, we both, we all, all three of us laughed. I think we all laughed. But they were, it was more of a in jest. It was more joking. Um, but there is freedom in forgiveness. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And so I want to jump right into the scripture, right into the word of God. But we do see Joseph last week in that series. One of the most powerful things that we see is Joseph's willingness to forgive his brothers. In Matthew chapter 18, I'd like to start in this passage because this is where Peter comes and we're going to see Peter comes and has a dialogue with Jesus and he begins to ask some questions about forgiveness. And there are, I would say, questions that people have. You know, how often should I forgive? That's kind of what Peter is saying. How often should I forgive my brother? To what extent should I forgive? Um, you know, what does it look like to forgive? How do we forgive? Here's the one that I love. Um, and we're going to touch on this, but this is just, this was the one I love. Forgive and forget. How many of you have ever heard that one? How many of you have heard it? If you heard it, raise your hand. Forgive and forget. Okay, can I tell you something? Biggest lie you've ever been told. All right. Trust me, if there was things I wish I could get my wife to forget, there is, let me tell you. 
Now, some of you men, you can forgive and forget, but it's not because you wanted to. It's just you, you, you just forget, right? You know, you just forget. Like in general, you just forget. Like, for example, anniversaries, you forget. Birthdays, you forget. But it wasn't intentional, right? You know, but that's one of the biggest lies you'll ever hear. Well, you just need to forgive and forget. Um, and so what does all of this look like? And it's interesting because Peter kind of is saying the same thing. I think that sometimes when it comes to forgiveness, even within the church body, with, within believers, within followers of Christ, there is some confusion. And I want to try to be a help. So we'll jump right into this. So look at Peter comes with some questions about forgiveness. Matthew 18. And beginning in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him, being Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now, let me let you get the, the context here. The idea is this. In this language, what he's saying is, is how often should I forgive someone who keeps doing the same thing? They've offended me or they've sinned against me. They've hurt me. They've wounded me. They've done something, uh, you know, that, that's not right. And they've done it to me. And he says, how often should I do this? And seven being the number of perfection, maybe. I don't know. But Peter throws out a number. He says, how about it's seven times enough? Now, let's see how the Lord re responds. No, not seven times, Jesus replied. But 70 times 7. Any good mathematicians in here? 70 times 7 is what? 490 times. So does this mean, do you think Jesus means that we have a little tally and that each time someone does it, we just kind of check it off? And we're like, okay, once we get to 490, you're cut off. It's done. Well, no, that's not what Jesus is teaching. The idea is this, is by the time you get to 490 times, you're pretty much in a habit of forgiving that person. Amen. And so he says, no, not seven times. Peter probably thought, I'm really, I'm really stepping out there. You know, this is a huge step of faith. I'm going to say seven times. And Jesus says, no. He says 490 times. Now, I love how Jesus responds and how he teaches and how he talks about forgiveness. So Jesus does what he does a lot of times. He begins telling a story. You know, he begins telling the story and he says, he gives a parable an earthly story with a deeper spiritual truth, with a deeper heavenly meaning. He says this. He tells this story. Therefore, he says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Notice this phrase. This phrase he couldn't pay. It was a debt that he could not pay. You know, even if he tried to, it would take him 10 lifetimes to repay this debt. It says that it was a debt that he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to try to pay back this debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he, notice, say the next word with me, forgave his debt. He forgives him of his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him just a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed him by the throat, and he demanded instant payment. What a dirty dog, you know? Like, come on now. You've just been forgiven this debt that was millions and millions of dollars that you could not even ever in your lifetime repay. You even in your own pride thinking that you could somehow, well, I'll eventually pay it off. And here the king has pity on you. And the king says, forget it. Your debt is relieved. It's completely canceled. I canceled your debt. You're set free. And now some guy owes you couple thousand dollars, and you grab him by the throat. And his fellow servant, notice this, fell down before him, and he begged him for just a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. 
When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse. Notice this word refuse. We'll come back to that in a moment. To forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Peter comes to Jesus with questions about forgiveness. How often should I forgive? Or what does it look like to forgive? And and Jesus uh, tells him, remember, it's more than seven times. You should have the willingness to forgive and to continue to forgive, even if it's the same offense. But I love this powerful story that Jesus gives because, yes, it's a parable, and it's not a true story, but Jesus uses this story to illustrate what it looks like when you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we have accumulated a debt, a sin debt, that you and I should pay, but yet Jesus, as we come to him and we confess and we repent and we, we plead with him, he forgives us, amen? And he forgives us this, this incredible debt. And yet when others sin against us or offend us or hurt us, that we are not willing. In fact, he even says there, they refuse to forgive. And so Jesus uses this powerful story to to really help us see what we look like when we are not willing to forgive. Just a few thoughts on this subject of forgiveness. First of all, what is the definition of forgiveness? What does this word really mean? The word forgiveness means to release, to set free, or to let go. Let it go, let it go. I hate that song so much. Let it go. (laughs) I know your minds were going there. Am I right? Just let it go. Let it go. Everyone sing it with me. You're like, I hate that song. Pastor, just let it go. Please, let it go. But the word forgiveness means to release. In some versions of the Bible, it says this, that he canceled, canceled the debt. And may I say this to you? Let's go back because we just had communion and we just took a few moments to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. But because of what Christ did for us on the cross, that there is forgiveness. Amen? And the Bible says because of the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness. It means this, is that the sin debt, that when we come to Christ and we repent, we'll speak of that in a moment, and when we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us, to cancel the debt, to forgive us of our sins. And when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says he takes our sins and he casts them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. God is the only one who can forget the offenses against him. But we're forgiven. That sin debt is canceled. It's paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're set free. It's to be let go. You see, Jesus is saying that because all that Christ has done for us and because he was willing to forgive us, then we too, the Bible says, in in appreciation of what Christ has done for us, that when others offend us and when others hurt us, that we should be willing and we should choose to forgive. So forgiveness, listen to these words, forgiveness is a choice. Well, Pastor Joe, I don't feel like forgiving this person. I'm going to tell you, most of the time, in fact, every time, I've had to forgive someone. I haven't felt like it. How many of you honestly really feel like forgiving someone? Come on now. If you wait until you feel like it, it ain't going to (laughs) happen. That's in the Greek right there. You know, like that's, it's not going to happen. You see, 
understand as Jesus is teaching here, he talks about this idea of those who refuse. The man refused to forgive. You see, forgiveness is a choice. It is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness only requires one party. You know who that one party is? You. Now, forgiving and forgetting, the forgetting part, that's unrealistic. To say to someone who's been wounded, who's been hurt, to say to someone who's possibly been abused, whether it's sexually, physically, emotionally, mentally, just tormented, to say to them, well, just, you just need to forget about it. Just forget about it and move on. No, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, that's not, you won't see that anywhere in Scripture for you and I as human beings to say that forgiveness is to forget. Because the fact of the matter is there are going to be times where understand this, let this sink in. Think about what Jesus said. He said the same offense. What do you do? You have to choose to forgive. Not once, not twice. Peter thought seven times, not seven times. But Jesus said 70 times seven, 490 times. Can I say this to you? That our minds are amazing things. And our minds are like a computer. And I can tell you this. There are things that people have said to me, things that have happened to me in my past and as a child growing up that are 30 and 40 years ago. And oftentimes I have to choose to forgive that person over and over again. Even though I haven't seen them for 20 years, I still have to choose to forgive them. Are you with me, church? Because the enemy will keep bringing up these hurts and these offenses. The adversary, the evil one, will continue to bring it up and bring it up and bring it up. And each time you have to choose to say, I'm going to release Release them. I'm going to. I'm going to cancel that. I'm going to. I'm going to, to let it go. I have to let it go. Doesn't mean that I've forgotten about it. But you have to choose to forgive. Because there's freedom in forgiveness. Understand this: that forgiveness requires one party. Forgiveness is realistic. Forgetting is unrealistic. Forgiveness, please do not miss this. Forgiveness is about you. It's to help you. It's to let go so that the enemy does not use it. And we'll look at this in a moment. To create bitterness in your heart. And to harbor unforgiveness is a spiritual cancer that will eat away at you. It'll eat away at you and it'll rob you of your joy. It will rob you of life. It will rob you of enjoying the blessings of God. It will rob you of your relationships. Bitterness and unforgiveness, listen to me, it will corrupt the people around you. It not only defiles you, but it will defile the people around you. Have you ever met someone who is harboring unforgiveness? I've met, I'm not trying to be mean here, just, just an example, but I've met some w women out there who hate every man on planet Earth because one guy messed up, you know? And I've met some men who hate every woman on planet Earth because one woman messed up, and now every, do you get what I'm saying? And so, and then they have kids, and before long they're like, you know, they'll teach their son, all women, or whatever, you know, or they'll teach their daughter, all men, or whatever, you know. And here's the point, unforgiveness and harboring that, and that bitterness, it not only, it not only corrupts you, but it corrupts the people around you. It's damaging. It's destructive. It'll destroy you. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you can't allow this unforgiveness in your heart because he says, listen, it'll corrupt you. It'll destroy you. And forgiveness is not about the other person. Get this in your heart and in your mind. Forgiveness here, the teaching on forgiveness that Jesus is giving is about you. It's about you. Second thought, and that is this. And this is where the confusion comes. You guys ready? Hang on now. There is a difference between forgiveness and restoration. 
And this is where the confusion comes. Restoration is different. We can forgive someone. We can release someone, if you will. But maybe never, ever have a fellowship or a true relationship with them. You say, well, that's... No, 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 that's not what forgiveness is. No, listen, forgiveness is releasing someone and it's for you. Restoration is when two parties can come together. It's really quiet in here. Pastor Joe, you're teaching heresy, okay? Listen, restoration requires both parties. I can tell you that through Scripture, even in the Word of God, teaches us and tells us that, yes, God forgives. But can I tell you something? Restoration comes through repentance. Look through the Scriptures. We don't have time, but Luke chapter 5, if you read there, it talks about, he says to them that the Son of Man came, and he says, to preach repentance, and that men must repent everywhere. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 13, as he's dealing with the Galileans, they begin to point their finger at everyone else. And Jesus says in Luke 13, Jesus says to them, he says, unless you repent, you will likewise what? Perish. There must be repentance. There must be a change of heart. There must be a change of mind. There must be repentance. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But what must come first? We must confess our sins. Come on, church. Somebody say amen. amen. We must confess our sin. We must repent of our sin. There must be a repentance. There must be a change of heart, a change of mind. And Jesus said that his whole purpose to, of coming here was to point people to the fact that they must repent, that there must be a change of heart, there must be a change of mind. And he says, unless you confess your sin, he says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Brothers and sisters, may I say to you that repentance is still in the scriptures. It's still in the Bible. I'd encourage you to do a little Google search and look it up. Amen. But it's in there. It's a word that no one wants to use anymore. No one wants to teach. No one wants to preach this anymore. And maybe you're here, guests, and you're visitors, and you say, oh, Pastor Joe used a big word. He used the word repentance. It simply means this, a change of heart and a change of mind. John the Baptist, when he preached and the Pharisees came and criticized, he said, bring fruit, meat for repentance. Jesus said, unless you Repent, you will likewise perish. Look with me in Colossians 1, 20 through 22. It says this, and through him, through him, Jesus Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away. We were once far away from God. We were his enemies. Notice this. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Look in Romans chapter 5. This entire chapter is powerful. But in Romans 5 verses 1 and 2, we'll just look at a few verses here. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by what? Say it. Faith. We have peace with God. How do we have peace with God? By our faith. Therefore, since we have been made right with God, we were once enemies, but we were reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our, say the next word, faith. Christ has brought us into this place. It's through faith that we're reconciled to God. It's through faith which is a, a true repentance, a change of heart, a change of mind. True repentance brings faith. And when you have faith, he says this, you're taken from a place that was once an enemy to a place of being friends with God, the family of God. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Look a few more verses down, verses 9 through 11. We don't have time for the entire chapter. But he says this, 
And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And since our friendship with God was, notice, say that, see the word there, restored. Restored. It was restored, restoration. By the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You see, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful thing. Jesus was even, in essence, teaching this. When, when he was teaching of the man who was in debt, when Peter asked about forgiveness, the man who was in debt, and what did the man do? The man came and he pleaded with him and he begged with him. And, and, and what did, happens... The master of the Lord, the king, has mercy upon him, and he forgave him of the debt. You and I understand this. There must be a time in our life where we come to a place of repentance, where we realize that we cannot get there on our own. It's through Jesus Christ. Amen? And when we accept him as our Lord and Savior and believe upon him, when we have that time of repentance and by faith believe upon him, the Bible says that we were once enemies, but now we're the friends of God. Praise God. And he forgives us. But understand this. Salvation requires repentance. And through repentance then comes restoration and reconciliation. You see, restoration requires the offending party to confess, to acknowledge their wrong, to seek forgiveness, and to change their behavior. I'll give you an example in the scriptures, and we won't turn there, but in Luke 19, a while ago, I preached on the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Remember him, the little guy? And remember, he was a publican, a tax collector, and he was betraying his own people, and he was selling out his own people to, to profit from Rome, and he was hated by everyone. And, and as Jesus is walking, remember the story, he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus joyfully comes down, and, and in that story, what you'll find is this, is that he says to Jesus, he in essence is repenting, and he has confession. And what he says is, he says, whatever I've taken, he says, I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've taken from someone wrongfully, if I've stolen something, listen to what he says, I will restore unto them fourfold. Then Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house. Did you see that? The man, he, he comes to Jesus. Yes, there's a faith and a trust, but there was some restoration. There was a repentance. There was a change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of life. And he came to Jesus and he says, I, whatever I've done wrong, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it new. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. So understand this. Restoration is different than forgiveness. Restoration, yes, is possible, but it takes both parties. Restoration requires the offending party to be willing to acknowledge, to seek forgiveness, and I do believe to have some repentance, some change. There's an old saying Fool me once, if anyone can help me remind me here. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know what I mean by that? You know what people mean by that? To say to someone, <laughs> let me put it like this. I've had where people have been abused physically, sometimes sexually, emotionally. They forgive. And the offender then says, well, then everything's supposed to just be okay. You're supposed to forgive me. And then they just continue their behavior. And they continue their behavior. And they continue their behavior. There may be a point where you have to say, I can't 
continue to live like this. And by the way, God doesn't expect us to continue to live like that. That's not what forgiveness is. There's a difference between forgiveness and restoration. Do we pray that all relationships can be restored? Yes. Do we pray and beg God for restoration? Absolutely. But do not think that because someone says, well, I forgave you, but you're going to continue in your behavior, that that is a license for you now to keep doing what you're doing. Church, somebody say amen. Amen. You see, forgiveness has become a license for the offender to keep offending and to continue to hurt and to continue to inflict heartache and pain and suffering upon someone and thinking that, well, because you're supposed to be a good enough Christian to forgive me, so therefore I can continue in my sin. No, no, a thousand times no. Let me read a few statements about forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness in the minds of many today has come to equal acceptance as restoration. People falsely believe that forgiveness means the offended person is required to accept the wrong actions or choices and then continue a relationship regardless of what they have done. Saying, I know that what I, I, know that what I am doing offends you, hurts you, or is an offense to, you, to what you believe. But if you are a Christian, then you must accept my behavior. Put any offense and maintain a relationship with me. This view of forgiveness requires all on the part of the offended person and nothing of the offender. When the offender demands restoration without making any change in their behavior, they are inevitably inevitably attempting to make themselves the victim. They are attempting to make the offended person look as if they are victimizing the offender because they won't tolerate their wrong actions. Again, forgiveness is not a license to continue to hurt people. Ephesians 4.32 says this, it tells us, he says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Should we forgive? Yes. Forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness is a command. It is not an option. Jesus, even in the Lord's Prayer, implied that forgiveness is something that we, is necessary. It's a necessity. He says that we forgive others uh, their trespasses uh, as, as we, even we trespass against them. He says we should, we should be willing to forgive. And by the way, we should forgive. Amen. It's a command to forgive. But please understand this. That there's a difference between forgiveness and restoration. And many times people think that because you forgive someone, now you're going to be besties with them. But if that person keeps hurting you and hurting you and hurting you, then you have to understand that sometimes there may have to be consequences. Forgiveness is a choice to release the offender Reconciliation is seeking to be restored to fellowship with the offended. Forgiveness involves a change in thinking about the offender, while reconciliation requires a change in the behavior of the offender. Forgiveness is an act of grace towards someone who has broken our trust. Listen to these words carefully. While reconciliation is restoration based upon their effort to restore trust. Forgiveness is given even if it is never earned, while restoration is made possible only after it has been earned. Forgiveness is unconditional and requires no repentance, while reconciliation is conditional and based primarily on repentance, upon a change. Forgiveness is always possible. Did you hear that? Forgiveness is always possible. While reconciliation, we don't want to hear this, while reconciliation may never be possible. 
Forgiveness is setting the offender free so that we might be free. There is freedom in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something we do for others. We do it for ourselves so that we can be healed and move on. Look at Hebrews with me. One last passage. Hebrews 12, verse 14 and 15. He says, work at living in peace with everyone. It takes work. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch what he says here. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Notice what he says, doing what? Corrupting many. Can I tell you, unforgiveness is something that will corrupt many. It's a poisonous root. It's a poison that will eat away at you. Forgiveness is something that that all of us struggle with, I promise you. There's, I guarantee every single person here, there's someone somewhere that has offended you, has hurt you. And the Bible says we're commanded to forgive. And you say, but Pastor Joe, I don't feel like it. I don't, I don't have those feelings. I don't have that emotion. I don't feel like forgiving them. Listen to me, it's a choice. And you must choose to forgive them. And this is for your own spiritual well-being. Amen, church? This is for your own spiritual well-being. Because if, if, you allow, if you allow that to fester within you and that unforgiveness, that root of bitterness, it will spring up. It will begin to grow. And it will begin to grow. And what's really sad is this. We often then feed it and we water it and we nurture it. And that poisonous root begins to grow. And then it begins to manifest itself. And it begins to fruit comes of it. The people around us can see it, whether we can see it or not. And so we choose to forgive so that the enemy does not use it to create bitterness and to corrupt us. Do we still pray and seek for restoration? Absolutely. Can I say this to you? It may not happen right now. But in time, God has a way of healing. Amen? I can tell you there have been times where <laughs> things have happened and Relationships, people I know, people who were once good friends and things happen, whether it was me or them or both of us, it's usually both of us, and things happen and I've forgiven them, choose to forgive, and sometimes it's years later, five years later, six years later, seven years later, before long, time has a way of helping the healing, amen? Maybe you reach out or they reach out and then there's that restoration. But I do want to, you to understand, please understand that there is a difference between forgiving someone and then having complete restoration. Does this make sense, church? I really want to, my desire, my prayer is to help you because so many times we feel like we're not being a good Christian because maybe we're not best friends with the person who's hurt us and hurt us and wounded us and there's been no change. If there's been no change, you may have to protect yourself. Does this make sense? Protect yourself. Is this making sense? Because I want to be able to finish the service, amen? But I don't want any confusion either. But we sometimes feel like we're not being a good Christian. For example, forgive and forget. We've been told that a million times. Forgive and forget. You just need to forgive and forget. Just let it go and move on. And when we can't forget, we think we're not being spiritual. Come on now. But you won't find in the Bible where the Bible tells you and I as human beings to forgive and forget. Only God can do that. Amen. And that's what makes him God. And I'm thankful he forgets. 
Amen. And I'm thankful he forgets. Let me read this and we are finished. We're out of time. Corey Ten Boom wrote a book called The Hiding Place. When I was in high school, it was required reading. Boy, things have changed. Now we have to read why Sally has two mommies and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> we read a book called The Hiding Place about a hero of the faith named Corey Ten Boom. And this is a story on forgiveness. Corey Ten Boom lived during the time of the Nazi, Nazi Germany and Hitler. She wrote also a book, and this is an et excerpt from her book called I'm Still Learning to Forgive. It says this, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had spoken, moving along the rows of the wooden chairs to the door in the rear. It was 1947, I had come from Holland to a defeated Germany with the message, God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that's where, where our forgiven sins were thrown, she said. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and in silence they collected their wraps, and in silence they left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw an overcoat in the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored caps with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights and the pathetic uh, pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, her ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Oh, Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp, camp where I was sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message for a line. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow and terrible and pathetic existence simply for asking? I could not have been many, many more than a few seconds that I stood there and his hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those that have injured us. If we do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as, as a command of God, but as a daily 
experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of the Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to learn uh, to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You, Lord, supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, and I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Forgiveness is possible. Amen. There is freedom in forgiveness. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word this morning. Lord, I pray that there may be some here today, even as we pray right now, that there's someone or something or some situation that they right now need to choose to forgive. I pray that you would give them that ability, the power, Lord, the ability, the courage to just simply call out to you and say, Lord, help me. Help me to forgive. Lord, I pray that we would not allow unforgiveness to create that bitter root that springs up within us, Lord. Lord, help us to know that, that because you have forgiven us and because our sins are forgiven, we can forgive others as well as we've experienced the great love of Christ in our lives and the freedom through the forgiveness of sin that we can, we can choose to 